grace, mercy, and peace to you. God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe you saw the news story last Tuesday about the Texas farmer who discovered five unaccompanied children along the Mexican border near the Rio Grande. Young children. Uh, the ranges were seven, five, three, two, and one just 11 months. Dumped there like garbage. It turned out that they were from Honduras and Guatemala, and according to the Guatemalan Foreign Ministry, they'd simply been abandoned by smokers. Looking through their belongings, authority found a phone number that was written with a marker on the baby's diaper, the number of a relative who was supposed to have received them in the United States. The farmer reached out to the Border Patrol and said he'd simply been making the rounds on his farm when he came across them. He said it was about 8.30 in the morning, just driving along, and all of a sudden I see them there, beside the bank, here on the river, five little baby girls all by themselves, hungry, crying. I can't imagine many things that would be more frightening for children than being abandoned, left alone. They made that movie years ago about the little boy who was left home alone by accident when his family went on vacation, the one with Macaulay Culkin. I, I can't stand to watch that movie. It's just terrifying. I know, it's supposed to be a clown. But it was real life. That would be terrifying, right? You have to wonder what was going through the apostles' minds when Jesus was lifted up into the heavens and they stood and watched. Fear? Apprehension? Eagerness? Excitement? There was a wild ride while it lasted, but is this the end of the line? And what do you suppose Jesus was feeling as he was ascending? You know, looking down at his band of friends, the men he'd spent the last three years with, as they looked up at him, growing smaller and smaller by the moment, seemingly being swallowed up by the vastness of the whole world. A world so badly in need of what he'd come to accomplish. You know, what he now offered. Full and free forgiveness in a relationship with the one who loves unconditionally. Did he wonder if he could trust them with the greatest message ever entrusted to anyone? Would they be able to continue without him at their side? They were only human, after all. Think about the story of John the Baptist. Jesus once told his disciples, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. John had been sent to pave the way for Jesus' ministry with a ministry of his own. His job was to prepare people's hearts for the Lord's coming with his call for repentance and baptism. Now, John paid for his faith and his witness to the truth with his life. After his murder, Matthew tells us, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. And that was pretty much the end of John the Baptist, and also John's own disciples. They parted and went their own way. Uh, some, some of them sought out Jesus to tell him what happened, but others were never heard from again. Because their master was dead, their cause was ended, and there was nothing left to hold them together. They just sort of disintegrated. But in Jesus' story, what looked like the end was really just a new beginning, wasn't it? His followers made their way with the murdered body of their master to his grave as well, this time on Good Friday. They laid him in the tomb with even greater love, but no more hope than their predecessors. The bond that held them together was gone too, and they were already thinking about drifting apart. By Easter evening, Thomas, one of the twelve, would wander out somewhere. Two of the other followers, other followers that uh, were already on their way home to Emmaus. As far as they knew, at least at that moment, they had no reason to stay in Jerusalem any longer. They had to start thinking about getting back to making a living. But there were things already in motion they didn't yet know. 
So on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb to finish the work of anointing Jesus' body for burial. They were left to go alone because there was no hope of finding life there. In the barely three days since Jesus had been killed, the bonds that had once held this group together were beginning to unravel. When Mary Magdalene returned from finding Jesus' tomb empty, she had evidently found Peter and James first because they ran back to see the empty grave for themselves. But that's where the two stories part ways, at the empty tomb. If Jesus hadn't ridden, risen, nothing uh, in the world could have saved his disciples from the same fate as John the Baptist's disciples. But he did rise. Jesus was alive again, and that changed everything. In our lesson this morning, 40 days after Easter, the Ascension was a powerful catalyst to get them back on track for the mission Jesus was leading them. Now, days prior, Jesus' resurrection had been brutal. You know, afraid for their lives after the crucifixion, the disciples had gone into hiding. We can only imagine their confusion, their despair. And for the last three years of the state, even in their grief, they must have had a sense that they'd suddenly been left alone, abandoned, now, through no fault of their own, but that didn't change the facts, did it? And if on the off chance they weren't killed too, then what? You know, back to fishing? Collecting taxes? Matthew was a tax collector before. Maybe for a short while they could have become just another small Galilean religious sect, but without a leader, that had no future. There'd been others that had come and gone, and they would have to nothing. But then came the news that Jesus had risen from the dead, and this in-person visit to them. For the next 40 days, he would spend time with his followers, and with so many others, showing himself alive to over 500 people, conversing with them, eating with them, to show that he wasn't a, a ghost. The resurrection had changed everything. His disciples had been drawn back together. Their mission was back on Luke's Gospel tells us that before Jesus returned to his Father in heaven, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures about him, from, from rising from the dead to back through the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And finally, finally they began to get it. The whole of scriptures were a foreshadowing of the one who had been promised, the Savior, who was their hope. And certainly they understood now that Christ himself had always been the center of the scriptures. But would the bond they formed over the past three years uh, be strong enough to hold them together in the face of persecution and, and danger? The vastness of the job Jesus was entrusting to them. Had he told them they were to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching? Before the ascending Jesus was hidden by a cloud, do you think he was even a little apprehensive? Just a little worried that these guys maybe, uh, you know, could they really keep it together and pull off the the greatest mission ever? I would have been. You know, I'm like, God, I'm not on a mission. But are we talking about Peter here? Sure. Think about it. Along with James and John, they'd fallen asleep in the garden on the night that, uh, of Jesus' arrest. They were supposed to be watching uh, while he prayed. The same Peter who denied even knowing him three times that same night during his trial. And when the temple guards had come to arrest Jesus in the garden, the other disciples had scattered. They deserted him. These were the same men who had once argued who was the greatest among them, and two of them had already asked for VIP seats in his kingdom at Jesus' son. Same men who had misunderstood some of his greatest parables. During the 40 days after his resurrection, when the risen Christ was busy showing himself alive to hundreds of people, 
more than half of his disciples had gone back to fishing. You know, what was the glue that would hold them together now that Jesus had returned to his Father's side? These guys were common folks. They weren't rocket scientists or uh, civic leaders or theologians or corporate CEOs. And yet Jesus had just entrusted them with the greatest mission any man ever asked him to embark on. Moses wasn't even asked to save the whole world. Just the Israelites. Certainly the disciples were apprehensive about the future because they continued looking up at the sky long after Jesus had disappeared. You know, was two angels had uh, took two angels to bring their eyes back down to earth by asking them what they were doing, still looking up. You know, someday they said Jesus would come back in the same way. But in the meantime, they were implying there was work to do. The whole world needed a Savior. And now that that Savior had come, and his salvation was waiting to be accepted by that world as a free gift. But most of the people in the world didn't even know about it yet. It would be the apostles' job to show them their need, to remind them that they were sinners who, without Jesus, already stood condemned before a holy and just God. And then introduce forgiveness and salvation to them in the person of Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, who dwelt among us, the face of God. Show us the love of God. Through their witness and the word and the working of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would send in just 10 days on Pentecost. The world would learn that it had a need that only Jesus could fulfill. It was a need that would bind these men together as one body. Even though they would be spreading the gospel individually in many cases, as they, they headed out into all the world from uh, every point in the compass. Jesus uh, may have been the ascending Christ returning to his throne in heaven. But he wasn't leaving them alone. The Spirit would be there to empower them, to guide them. The need would, uh, would bind their hearts together in this, this common cause. God wanted all mankind to be reconciled to him through faith in, in his Son, in Jesus. He wanted to bridge that gulf that sin had created, separating God from man. And in the cross, and the crucified risen ones was that bridge. It's an old recipe for success, the, the mantra for an entrepreneurial spirit, demonstrate a need and fill it. As powerful as the ascension of that was and as central it is, as it is to knowing Jesus for who he is, true man and also true God, it's not the end of the story. Now the 24th chapter of Luke, uh, the last chapter of his gospel, has been called the unfinished chapter. It ends with the resurrection we just read. The story of the ascension, I'm sorry. But the story of Jesus' life on earth ends there. But it's anything but the end of the story. The story of the gospel goes on, doesn't it? Luke himself tells us in Acts chapter 1, his second work, that in the gospel he told us all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So much work left to do. Then Luke moves on to the second work, the Acts of the Apostles, after his gospel, which records the work of these men and the challenges that they faced and overcame. As this good news really began to take root and spread like wildfire. It changed the world forever. It might be helpful to think of the ascension maybe as a, uh, the hinge of the apostolic mission. The mission was the great commission, the great commission, the work of bringing the good news of salvation by God's grace alone into all the world. So on one hand, we, we celebrate the resurrection, that's Easter. Fifty days later, we celebrate and remember the day that God showed the world that his mercy extended beyond the Jews to all people everywhere. In a sense, the day the Christian church was born. 
Pentecost, okay, when the promised spirit of God was poured out on these men. But the hinge holding those two, those two ends together is the ascension. It told the disciples that Jesus' mission was their mission. And that made an impact. And were they lost and confused that they looked at each other and after Jesus left, did John turn to Peter and say, oh, I think we're alone now. You might think so. But actually, he didn't. The end of Luke's Gospel tells us, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. They didn't feel abandoned at all. In fact, the ascension had just the opposite effect. For the very first time, they took hold of the mission as their own. And that was just the beginning. You know, one generation of disciples after another took on this work and carried out the Great Commission, sometimes with varying success, but always with success, because the ascended victorious Christ was still working through them, through his Holy Spirit, empowering, equipping, and emboldening them. You know, it's been said that the Christian faith is only one generation away from extinction. That's because each new generation that comes along inherits that responsibility to take the good news of the gospel into all the world. The key is for each of us to do our part, beginning with removing barriers that might turn people away from Christ and his good news, doing the best job we can, living the best life we can, being willing to meet people where they're at, and trusting God to do the changing of people's hearts. Trusting him for success in ways beyond simple numbers, in ways we may never get to see bear fruit the way we wish we could. But the seeds are planted. Producing fruit is God's job. The Spirit's job. Ours is just sharing the story and then making sure we can kind of stay out of the way by trying to remove any barriers. We have such a great story to tell. Jesus' whole life on earth was overshadowed by one single purpose to bring sinners to repentance and salvation. Can our purpose be any uh, less noble? Any less urgent? No, we live. We've been reborn new creatures in Christ to serve the King. Jesus said, in effect, take this message of repentance to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There's forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. That's a pretty tall assignment, isn't it? And a pretty big world out there to reach. But now it's our generation's turn to be faithful to the mission. You know, we have uh, two, three, maybe four generations represented in our congregation. And we begin with our kids by giving them a firm foundation in Christ from which they can launch one day. One that will always be there waiting, even after their wandering days. There may be wandering days. Then there are all the others that come into our circle of influence. You know, Jesus rarely had same kind of conversation with a stranger where, where uh, once a relationship was established, he didn't talk about the importance of repentance and forgiveness. Sometimes Jesus would initiate the conversation Sometimes not. The majority of it probably took place in a person's workplace, sometimes in their homes, but you know, least of all in a, in a religious setting. Jesus was most effective in a place where the people he was speaking with were most comfortable. They were often just casual conversations that opened up opportunities to share. He wasn't afraid to talk about right and wrong, but the conversations usually centered around God's unconditional love and his willingness to forgive. And that surprised these people because they've been raised believing God was perpetually angry with them for falling short of perfect. But everybody falls short of perfect. And God loves you just the same. 
You want us to live in a relationship with you. And if you don't reject that offer, it'll even help you in your struggles. That's the work of the Spirit. Even when you want it, the Holy Spirit is at work, trying to reel you back in, looking for you in the smallest crack in the hardest heart where the promise of God's forgiveness and in restoration might take hold. And you'll never abandon even the toughest cases. And you'll never have to face the trials, the challenges of this world alone. Jesus may rule over his church today from heaven, but he's also at work in the world through his spirit right here, every single day. And with his help, we can rise above it all. Amen. And I'm in that very special peace of God that passes all understanding of your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.